The Ringer Wrestling Show is getting you closer to all things pro wrestling. The Masked Man Show with David and Kaz drops every Thursday on the feed, along with a new show hosted by pro wrestling superfan Evan Mack called Mac Mania. Plus, hear instant reactions to all the biggest WWE pay-per-view events with our post-pay-per-view shows. Check out The Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. What's poppin'? Logan Murdoch here. Raj is, is not in today, but we have a very, very special guest for our Celtics Palooza edition of Real Ones. I'm very honored for this. It's been a long time coming. We have Jackie Mack on on uh, the program. Hi, Jackie. It's been a long time. I'm so happy to have you on. How are you doing? Thank you, Logan. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm sorry I've missed Raja, but maybe another time, huh? Maybe, maybe another time. It's it's uh you know we've 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 been talking about this for a long time. We want to get you on the pod, but we're here to talk about the uh, the Celtics. And uh, one of the things that was funny, I came to you before the pod, and I was like, oh man. Jason Tatum scored 51 points. This is great. This is great for the league. This is amazing. This is awesome. This is this is this is fantastic. And then you had a you 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 said something about consistency and that I think that is the that that's what colors the whole the whole season for the Celtics is a lack of consistency and and things of that nature. What what's going on with the Celtics now? They're 24 and 24. What what gives right now, Jackie? Logan, that's that's who they are. You know, at some mm. point, you just have to look at it and say, this is who we are. I think their record over the last two seasons, if you go back, is about 500. They're a 500 team. They're a flawed team. They have a transcendent talent in Jason Tatum. I mean, he's remarkable. He's, you know, they'd be crazy to trade him and they won't. I mean, he's they're building around him. And they the number two, Jalen Brown, is also a very talented guy. They've got to learn to play together better. They don't play well together. They don't move the ball particularly well together. The, you know, in, earlier in the year, there were some defensive issues. They've cleaned some of those up. I mean, they're a top 10 defensive team now. I think even top six or seven. Um, the problem is they can't score. Uh, they don't move the ball. And they can't close out games, most importantly. And you're not going anywhere in this league if you can't close out games. I believe they're down the bottom or at the bottom of the league in terms of closing out basketball games. So we can go 100 different ways here. Um, their offensive rating at the time puts them 22nd in the league. Um, 
So you, you were just talking about the win over the Wizards where Tatum drops 51. He's been having, you know, he's, he's having a career low year shooting from the three-point line. He's at around 32%. That's after adding the numbers he just got against the Wizards, which were good. And so this team, they don't have three-point shooting. Uh, Horford, early in the year, very early in the year, he would, you know, they'd kick it around. They'd, they'd double Tatum, kick it back out to Horford. He'd knock it down. He's shooting a career low. 28.4% from the three-point line. Tatum is at a career low, around 32%. We know he's better than that, and he will be. Uh, Marcus Smart is shooting around 30% from the three-point line. That's not a career low, but it's the worst he's been in about four or five seasons. So you could see the problems here. They need a shooter, but most importantly, in my mind, they need a point guard, a real point guard, a God bless Ricky Rubio, who's out with the torn ACL, a Ricky Rubio-type veteran that moves the ball, keeps it moving, gets it to you in the exact spot where you want it, and isn't worried about scoring. You know, a Ricky Rubio type guy. That's those are some of their needs. And, and you, you you talk about their needs, and you talked about the point guard position. But I think that when I look at the Celtics, and this is something that me and Raja talked about, is they're such a young team, but I don't see the leadership on this team. When I do see a Marcus Smart as a guy, and and I and I I see Marcus Smart as a guy that will speak up. But, you know, in covering the Golden State Warriors and being around teams like that, I, you know, I've seen a Draymond Green that can work when you have a guy that might necessarily, not necessarily be the star, be the leader. But I don't see a leader on the team that commands this type of respect on this roster, whether it's um, Coach, uh, Coach, Coach Emma Udoka or anybody on this team. Where can they find their leadership source? And do you think that that is, is more of a, uh, of a symptom of why they're bad? Because when you see... So- it's one thing for the coach to say, oh, I'm disappointed in the team. But I think that with, with these guys, they, they're so young that they haven't had enough experience in the league that can carry them into wins down the stretch and, and things like that. What, what do you think? that is there a move that they can make to do anything? What can they do? Well, you know what? I'm going to push back on what you just said because they are young. There's no question. I mean, if we're okay. talking about the core, the core to me is Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and well, let's put Marcus Smart last. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart is... In, in essence, your core, in my opinion, those guys have been to the conference finals. I mean, the problem was they yeah. went when they were so young and they got used to being yeah. there. And what they didn't realize was they weren't the only reason they got there. You know, yeah. say, say what you want about Kyrie Irving and Boston fans like to guys, an otherworldly talent. Uh, Gordon Haywood, again, Boston fans say what you want about him. But when he walked away from your franchise, your ball movement stopped. You, you stopped having a big guard that can defend on the perimeter for you. These guys mattered. Vintage Al Horford, as opposed to an aging Al Horford that you have now, was part of that. So these guys started to think, oh, the, well, this it's easy to get here. Well, you know what? It's not. It's not easy to get there. And so your point about leadership is absolutely correct. If we're talking about the step back larger picture of the Boston Celtics, I think they're in trouble. I, I just don't see – I don't see – when the game is on the line, so we could talk about the Washington game we want, or we could talk about the Portland game, where Portland went to a zone. That's all they did. It was a zone, Logan. And, yeah. and the Celtics <laughs> missed their last 10 shots. They didn't score for over seven minutes. And what happens is there's this urgency about this Boston team. Too little, too late. Like They get to the end of the game and they have all this urgency, but you have to have urgency if you're going to be a, 
a playoff team, a contending team. You have to have urgency in the second quarter when a team run, rips off 10 in a row against you. You got to fight back then. The urgency has to be there all the time. And it isn't with this team. And, and the urgency is a problem. And finishing games, as I mentioned before, is a major problem. And that does all point to leadership. And Marcus likes to be the leader. He likes to get in their faces. He was doing the tough love thing before the Washington game, telling them how much he loves them and how much he's proud of them and all that. But they've been hearing Marcus's voice for a while. And sometimes it, it gets old. It's you know? a Pat Riley effect, huh? Where, where you be. hear, hear the voice and the, the yelling and where it kind of tune out. Right. And I don't want to suggest that Marcus Smart is why they struggle because Marcus Smart is both the problem and the solution pretty much every minute of his life. Like he's a, yeah. he's a guy that any contending team would want because he's going to make a defensive play at the end of a game or during a game that you're going to go, oh my God. Marcus Smart's one of those guys that every game he does something, you go, wow. Like I was there yeah. when he goaded James Harden into two offensive fouls when he was playing with the Houston Rockets and literally stole the game from the Rockets, who are a better team at that time. So I have great respect and affection for Marcus Smart. Jason Tatum's a young guy. He doesn't strike me as he's he's not he's not a killer. Let's you know get in people's faces. Jalen Brown, I think, likes to lead, likes to express things, but there's too many too many voices all in the mix, and not one voice that's saying, "Come on, let's do this." And you have a young coach, a, a rookie coach. He's been on the bench. He's been in the league a while, but he's still a rookie head coach. And ev everyone will tell you that going from that assistant seat to the head seat is a big transition. So I don't see this team doing anything this year. And I, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, Logan, if the Celtics front office and the ownership says, you know what? We're in the luxury tax. Let's get below the luxury tax. This is a lost year. Let's decide at the end of the year. All right. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to build around those two still. Tatum and Brown. Um, let's let's decide how we build from there. Is Marcus Smart a trade piece? So what, you asked me, what will they do? They need a shooter. They need a three-point shooter. They need veterans. They need a point guard. I just really think, and I don't hear them ever say that, but that's what I think they need. And so Schroeder, you know, they're paying Schroeder almost $6 million. He's a bargain. He has good numbers, but he's part of the problem, frankly. And it's He's look. He's, well, he's playing, playing for, for a contract. contract now, right? Yeah. He is playing yeah. for contract. He's playing for numbers. The ball sticks in his hands. Ball movement. I want ball movement. The guy that makes the extra pass. So people, you know, some of the people in Boston, are clamoring for Isaiah Thomas because what a wonderful, you know, short but brilliant Nostalgia. period he had. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he's not what they need. He's not what they need either. They don't need another scorer. They need someone that can distribute the ball and help the shooters they have maximize the abilities of those two guys and Horford, you know, Horford, like I said, was doing it earlier. He's, you know, they kick it back out to him. He's the teams are leaving him alone for threes and everyone's going to play them zone um, because there's no shooters. I mean, Neesmith, you, you know, they drafted him thinking he was going to be the guy. He, he can't get off the bench. He shoots 25% from the three point line. He's lost his confidence. I, you asked me what I would do. I would play him more. I would, yeah. you know, Pritch, Pritchard was buried at the end of the bench and then had to play because of COVID stuff. And he got a little run in and he got his confidence back. And now he's part of the rotation again. And he's, he's helped them a bit, you know? Why? It's funny. You, I want to go back to what something you said about getting it too early and uh, just the overall. And I think that made me think about when I look at the Celtics, now they have, they drafted really well. Danny Ainge got, he hit on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but there was so much turnover. Talk about, 
uh, Gordon Hayward leaving, Kyrie leaving, yeah, Brad Stevens leaving the bench, which I don't think a lot of people put enough stock into. Like that, that is a big deal when you're seeing someone every day, and then you put a whole another new guy into the fold. How are we not giving enough? Um, are we not giving enough respect to the fact that this team has had so much turnover? Because I feel like in hindsight, when we see this team, when we see, when we look back at this group, it would, it could, on the one hand, it could be, oh, it was a disaster. On the other hand, it looks like it could be, um, this is the optimism in me showing a, a team right before the run, because it needs to be, the roster has holes in it. I look at their front court. Um, I look at their, uh, like you said, your point guard, you have a guy like Schroeder playing for a contract. What what has led to so much of the turnover um, for someone like me who was on the West Coast who doesn't see as much on, from the from the Boston angle? What has led to so much of that turnover um, in hindsight? Well, it's a good question, and you know, you one thing you when you were listing all the turnover, remember Al Horford left. Yeah, Al Horford <laughs> yeah. left. He left for the Sixers, and yep. Al Horford was supposed to be a big part of what they were going to do, and he left. Why did he leave? Why did Gordon Haywood feel so compelled to go to the Charlotte Hornets instead of staying with the Celtics? And, and I think there were some, how am I going to phrase this? Maybe misunderstandings about what was promised or expected of those players. You know, I think Gordon Haywood thought he was going to have a different role. Now, his, his injury was catastrophic. It changed everything. That's nobody's fault. That's nobody's fault. But he came back. The team had changed somewhat. And now he's the third option on this team. I don't think they ever made him feel like the, a valued, in my opinion, just in talking to people around Gordon Hayward and Gordon Hayward himself, I don't think he felt as valued as he probably should have. And people in the, you know, in the city were, he it took him a while to come back from that injury. He wasn't quite the same. And people just completely undervalued how important he was to them. And look, the well, Kyrie how big Irving was that thing, first season? How big was that first season when it, the 2017-18 season when they were all they they balled out in, in preseason that year? I remember yeah. it was and then you have the Gordon Hayward injury, but I think that speaks to how good they were because they were one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. And yeah. then you have a then you have a Kyrie injury that 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 when he gets injured, roles are automatically shifted. Tatum has yeah, the big yeah. year. Then Jalen, you know, is showing promise. How big was that season when you have guys, when you have expectations of what your roles are going to be? And then people, you know, Terry Rozier has a great year. But then uh, how big was that season? But see, there's another example. Terry Rozier, yeah. was Terry Rozier was having a great year. And you knew yeah. you weren't going to keep him. Then, man, you got to trade him and get something for him at the deadline. I mean, look at yeah. what Terry yeah. Rozier's <laughs> doing, doing for the Charlotte Hornets. So there were... And you, you talk about drafting. There were some hits, but there were a lot of misses. A lot of misses. And, you know, you go look at their roster now and some of the, the guys that are gone, it just, uh, it hasn't, you know, I don't think the last three or four years have been very good in terms of the front office for Boston, honestly. And, uh, you know, Tatum, that was a brilliant thing. You pick him, you know, you get the, you swindle the pick out of the sixes for the first round pick. But, you know, everyone made a big deal about the, the trade for, let's go all the way back. You 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 move Garnett and Pierce, and you get all these first round, this plethora of first round picks from the Brooklyn Nets, and like you know all this, and the Brooklyn Nets are in ruins, and the Celtics fleece them, and now here we are, the Brooklyn Nets are a team that's contending for the championship, and the Celtics are like are like uh, Jomi's beloved Lakers, just you know in the muck, <laughs> mediocrity, trying to not to you know, mention the Celtics water. had a chance at Kevin. <laughs> And they see right. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Have all well, their and, and I and think they, Kevin. you know, they they gave a good effort there. The problem, Boston has always had the same problem. It's been a very difficult free agent destination forever. 
And that's always been true. And, uh, you know, I think Kyrie leaving with some dominoes that, you know, and I, and I was there for that. Talk about, let's in, talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. I was in that. the weeds we for that. I, you know, one day he was saying, I, I want to stay here forever if you'll have me. And then he's gone. And that's as, as much to do with just Kyrie. You know, I'll say this about Kyrie. He believes in himself. He, he, he's an independent thinker. He's a different kind of thinker. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. And he talks a lot about basketball. He does not want basketball to identify him. He doesn't want that to be the only, you know, really. And he, he means it. People don't believe it. He means it. I'm telling you, he does. And I mean, I think he's proven that by this recent uh, stand he's taken regarding vaccination status. He, he's not kidding. Like he, he sees other things in the world. And so I, what happened there? You know, we were, I watched it unfold and all of a sudden, like he was there. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's, he's not staying. And that just, and then they panicked in my opinion, panicked and, and signed Kemba Walker to that deal. You know, Jordan, Jordan loves Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker wears his shoes. Okay. And, and he, he decided, I'm not paying you. I'm not paying you max money. I'm not going to pay you the max money because I think they should have done a little more of their due diligence on Kemba Walker's health. Lots of things. So there's lots of things you can go back and look at and say, you know, because Kemba, Kemba, I meant when he was there, he, you know, he was such a breath of fresh air. He was so positive. And he's telling me, I'm just a placeholder here for these two young guys. I just want to help them get to where they're going and all that. And then by the end, you know, he felt betrayed by the Celtics. I don't know why. You know, there's just a lot of that. A lot of, to me, issues of communication between what these players expected and what actually happened with them. So a lot of people walked out that door, you know, think about it. A lot of them. Uh, and, and, that's, and that speaks to, and obviously we, we know the types of people that, that walked out of the door. But when I look at Boston, I see a revolving door of really good players who have, you know, it was a big deal when Gordon Hayward went to Boston. It was a big deal when Kyrie was went to, to Boston. Yeah. It, was, it was. was a big deal when Horford went to Boston. And when you see a revolving door, you can make you can blame the players, but at some point, and I'm not in there like you are, but at some point, you're going to have to blame the organization and and organ and you know and I don't what and that, that leads to my question that I had about you know the Danny Ainge era. When you look at the Danny Ainge era, what do you think about? Because early on, obviously, you have the big three in Boston, you have KG, you have all these people, yeah. and then you you have the trade. And this was hailed as the the big thing. Oklahoma City is going through that right now, just collecting assets yep. and collecting assets. It's what you do with those assets. But when you look back on uh, the Danny Ainge era, what do you think? Well, I mean, the guy won him a championship. It's not hard. It's not easy to win a championship, and he won him one. Should they have won more? Yes, but Kevin Garnett got hurt. Kevin yep. Garnett got hurt. He wrecked his knee. Um, we can debate the Kevin Kendrick Perkins trade. A lot of people like to talk point to that as a reason why, but the fact that I saw the numbers, Shaquille O'Neal was playing for the uh, Boston Celtics at that time. And their plus, their plus differential with Shaq on the floor was unbelievable. And then Shaq has this Achilles injury that ends, ends his career, you know? Well, that's what happens with, with players of that. Oh, they, they, I think we're seeing that with the Lakers now. We're not going to talk about yeah. that right now, but you see that when, when older teams get, get older they want older guys who know this who know systems and can be being right but the consequences they get they get hurt and their their bodies aren't yeah. the same and that that was a major major blow to them so i think danny was a shrewd guy i think he was a guy that people were wary of dealing with because he seemed to always come out on top i think his his draft history near the end was spotty um 
I, there seemed to be a reluctance at times to me to bring in shooters. I never understood that. I just thought there were times that players were available. And maybe maybe what I don't know is maybe those players didn't want to come. I'm not privy to that. I don't know that. Um, but I think near the end, I, the Kyrie thing killed them. I mean, they went all in on Kyrie. Who wouldn't? You know, he wanted out of Cleveland. His talent is he phenomenal. A, yeah, who wouldn't? They went in all in on it and... And and it all it all blew up. And on up. paper, and then, won the deal though. On paper, if you look at the deal, they won the deal. I think if you look at it, they traded straight up right after that season. Isaiah Thomas is not who he is. Immediately is feeling the effects of that injury, not getting um, surgery or whatever the case may be. You're you're seeing that they won the deal. It was just a lot of yeah. bad luck for the Celtics. Well, it just. You know, Kyrie, whatever for whatever reason, that didn't work. Colin Sexton was part of that deal, though, too. Remember, that draft pick was turned into be Colin Sexton. So, not so yeah, bad. Yeah. But uh, anyway, they... So, Kyrie leaving, then all the dominoes start to fall. Then things start to change, you know. Um, and But you still have these two great young players, and you've got to figure out a way to make them play more effectively together. That is the bottom line for me. I wouldn't trade either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. I've said it over and over, and I know fans want one or the other. I mean, I think everybody, there's no way they're trading Jason Tatum, and I don't believe they're going to trade Jalen Brown either. And Jalen Brown's an interesting guy. He's, you know, he's gotten better each year, but he he has trouble. He, he's When you watch him play, there's a little bit too much for me anyway of head down, go to the basket. He's not a great passer. He really isn't. He struggles passing yeah. the ball. He turns the ball over a lot. It's a problem. Again, that seems like a symptom of being young, though, right? Because I, I know uh, Kevin was a bad was a bad j- uh, passer going early on in his career, and that that I think that changes as you get older, though, right? When you know the offensive better and the game slows down for well, you. Am but, I wrong? Because I'm not around. Uh, I don't know. I yeah. think I think Tatum's a pretty good passer, you know, and he's mm. younger than yeah, yeah. Jalen. So sometimes it's just knowing, you know, basketball vision or however you want to describe it. And uh, so those two guys need to figure out a way to play together. Again, I point to the point guard and finding a veteran point guard that can keep the ball moving. Um, you know, those kind of things. But they, but there's a, just a bigger malaise with this team that frustrates the whole fan base. They don't play hard all the time. They just don't. They have these lapses that are just confounding. And I don't under, I don't know what the answer is for that. But it's to me the most concerning thing of all because talent is one thing, cohesiveness playing together, a commitment to what you're supposed to be doing that you know is right, a killer instinct, closing out games. That's those are bigger issues that I don't know, man. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. It's it's just interesting when I hear the when I hear a narrative of them leaving because it's always coming from one source. It's always national media that's saying, "Oh, we need to break them up. We need to do all these things." But when I you know when I was researching for this pod, um, you know I you know I see a lot. Everyone in Boston says, "No, keep them together." Everyone who I know is in the know, like OG Gary Washburn, who we both love. Um, yeah, yeah. When we but 
why why do you where is that narrative coming from? I have my own opinion, which is I, I feel like we're in a star culture league where as soon as something doesn't go right, we need to make a move. We need to do these things. We need to do these. And when I see them, they're so young. Why would you trade them? Why what what, what would be good to train them? Just make the team better around them is my is what I would think. Why why do you why do you think there is the the national spotlight of hey Break these guys up immediately, and then now it's it, when you go locally. It's Boston. It's what do you? Well, are we doing? I think it's if you're watching them play, and you're a national media person, you watch them play, and you're like, they don't fit very well together. They don't make each other yeah. better, right? That's the whole yeah. idea: make each other better. And they don't do that consistently. They just don't. What happens is when the game gets, you know, they start falling behind. Both of them are like, all right, I'm going to go the. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of the hero ball. It's classic hero ball. I'm going to shoot this you know, 32 foot three pointer over three guys, you know, there, there's a lack of recognition in times of how you get back into a game and get the best shot you possibly can. I go back to it again. How do you do that? By keeping the ball moving. You, you cover the golden state warriors. You know what I'm talking about? You keep the yes. ball moving. The ball doesn't stick. Keep moving. Too keep much ISO the in the league right now, Jackie, too much ISO in the league. I agree. <laughs> too I much agree. ISO and pick so- and roll. So I think the problem is, how do you get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to look at each other and say, all right, I'm going to figure out a way to make you better. We can make each other better. Let's do that. And I, I don't think, see, I think the thing that's unfair with these two guys, and they're feeling it. I know they're feeling it. I know the whole team is. They, you know, I think Marcus Smart just said the other day, it's us against the world. No one believes in us. No one. And he doesn't, I, I, he has to understand why people are frustrated. Because they play that game in Portland and they should win that game. It's obvious they should win that game. And they don't. And you know what? You know what's even worse? You're watching it. I happen to be watching it. And I'm like, they're not going to win this game. And they're up six points. But I just, I've seen it too many times. I know they're not. And they, they stopped doing the things that got them the lead in the first place. Again, playing good defense, getting up in people's grills, scoring off of other teams' turnovers, all of those things. I mean, I'll give you some numbers if you want. I mean... Go ahead, Their go ahead. offensive rating, number 22. Their assist percentage, 20th in the league. Three-point shooting, 22nd in the league. Those numbers, assist-to-turnover ratio, 21. I mean, what does that tell you? The ball isn't moving the way it should be. Now, and that's it, just sharing the ball. It's funny because this question is either going to make Joe me cry or um, it's going to make him jump for joy. But it's a Jason Tatum question, and it's and – it's, I don't like to do the internet questions and things like that, but when, when I see a Boston Celtic wearing a Lakers jersey, and I'm not asked, saying you're going to go to the Lakers, but I, I'm asking when you see that that gives that gives Boston you're in there that gives that gives Boston some level of what what are you doing? That, uh, you know, this is from this is a fan base that sees um, that you know that that rivalry. You we both know about that rivalry. Jerry West did not want to wear green. That it's 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 right. that serious. I'm not asking if he's going to the Lakers. What I'm asking, though, is what is the long-term viability of Jason Tatum in Boston in general when you see a guy that is – Boston is a fan base that need, that that cries out for loyalty, which is why the vitriol for Kyrie is so – is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. What is that? By the, way, Kyrie you, was, by the way, Kyrie was a free agent. See, here's the thing. Yeah. Kyrie Irving didn't force his way out of Boston like he did in Cleveland. He was a free agent. He was free to go. Free to go. But I think what, but I think that says to a point when I look at history, 
the Celtics won the majority of their titles when there wasn't free agency, right? Where there were guys that were, it wasn't free agency in the way that it is now. And oh, you see guys that because of the search circumstance stayed for 10 years. Robert Parrish was there for a whole decade. Larry Bird was there for a whole decade. And then before whole that, whole, whole career. career. And then you, you get to love these guys. And it's a different relationship that you have with these guys, even going back um, the Red Auerbach, um, the Boston Celtics. But I think now it's it's a different era. And, you know, Boston is, like I said, loyalty. But back to Jason Tatum, in, in this new era where there are guys that, you know, players have more power than they've ever had before. They have earned that power, collectively bargained power. But where do you see him going? Um, or not going, but where do you, do you see him being that lifelong Celtic? Because it's hard to see him put on a Lakers jersey and then and not ask questions. Yeah, so I can't answer that. Um, I think the bigger bigger concern for the Celtics should be Jalen Brown because his contract's up first. I would okay, be more yeah. concerned about where, what Jalen Brown's doing than Jason Tatum at the moment. They're not trading Jason Tatum. I don't think they're trading Jalen Brown either. I guess unless, and there's no, this is pure speculation. I'm not saying this is going to happen. But, you know, if at some point Jalen Brown says, you know what, I'm not staying here. I want to move on, you know. Now that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened and it may never happen. But if I'm the Celtics, I'm I'd be more concerned about Jalen Brown first than I would Tatum because he's the one that's that's coming up first, and he's the one that's clearly number two. J- Jason's number one, Jalen's number two, and so you know I, I don't see why. I think the Celtics have done everything they can for Jason Tatum. I, I don't think I don't I, know I what think else. Think so too. I don't know what else they could possibly do for him. They, he plays. Tons of minutes. He's featured in every ad. He's, you know, they've promoted him for every award. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know what else they could do for Jason Tatum. And I don't get any sense that Jason Tatum is looking elsewhere. But, but you know what? If this keeps happening and the, and the scrutiny and the criticism, it's, it's hard, man. If you're him, you're like, what do you want me to do? I just dropped 51 on the Wizards and my boy Bradley Beal, you know? And that's the thing about young players is, the young players are a lot more thin-skinned than they used to be. I'll tell you that. I will say this, though. I think in ter- when you when you talk about Jalen, um, I covered him in Cal a little bit in the Bay Area. And it seems like everywhere he's gone, he's always played under the radar, right? He went to a uh, public school in, uh, in Georgia, then went to um, – and I say public school because public school basketball, you know this, takes a backseat to a to um, to private and in the prep schools and things like that. And, and so – Goes there, then goes to goes to Cal, which is not necessarily. It was a great, obviously a great school, but they don't care about basketball like that. Then he goes to, then where he's a number two to Ivan Rab, who is from Oakland at the time, um, and then he goes to Boston, where he is probably thinks and rightfully so thinks this. He has number one talent because he's scoring, yeah. also scoring forty six and fifty one. But you go to, and then you see Jason Tatum getting all the ads, and you see him being a number one. There, I, I I don't have any speculation. I, obviously, I'm not in Boston, but I, there is a world where I see him no saying like, "No, nah, I want to be number one because I earned that. I worked for that. I am a number one." And in the same way that a, uh, I see his career arc being similar to a Jimmy Butler, where he goes like, "Hey, no, nah, I am a number one, and I should be treated as such, and I can lead a team in, in all of those things." So, I, I I don't know. I think I think I think if I were to say, I think uh, Jay uh, Jalen is more likely to lead than Jason. Am I wrong yeah. in thinking something no, like that? Is I don't that, is think that, so. I mean, yeah. I don't disagree with that at all because, but, but that doesn't mean either one of them has to leave. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens. But here's, if you're the Celtics, all right, 
you get some free, you have, you have this, uh, this, this cap money, you can make a deal and you want Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis's father's like over my dead body. Like my son, everyone is, is never saying, going no, there. he's not going <laughs> never, never, yeah. ever going there. And so Kevin Durant, you make your pitch and he's like, yeah, I, this was good. I met Tom Brady, but yeah, I'm not coming. So <laughs> you have to do it. You have to do it through the draft. You got to draft the right people and then add pieces around it to make it work. Like this Boston is not LA. It never has been. And it never will be in terms of a free estimation. It's, it's, it's not New York. See, it's 14 degrees out here right now. 14 degrees uh, you know today. How, uh, what it is out here, Jackie, not to, you know, you know what out here in the, in the Bay area, it is, uh, it's 60, it's 65 right now. It was, it was beautiful. I was wearing uh, shorts. Yes. So in the West coast, yeah. Fine. You know, I, I see okay. why Kevin made his decision is all I'm saying. Yeah. So this is what, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a unique situation, but the Celtics have this great history. Um, you know, and it's funny, the New York, the, the, um, fascination with New York to me is so interesting because they've just haven't been relevant for so long, but because it's Madison square garden and it's New York city, they're always going to be relevant. at least Jackie, they, people they want are. clout. I don't know if you know this, people want clout and attention and you get a lot of that if you go to the Knicks or go to New York more than you would if you go to Boston. But you also get a lot of scrutiny and you better be prepared for that. Because it comes yeah. with, you know, like Zion, Zion might as well just like, I mean, it's clear. Just pack up and would, go to, go to, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's clear that that would work for him. But the scrutiny, he better be ready for. Ask Julius Randle about it. Ask Julius Randle about well, the how scrutiny. Much, I, I do feel like, what about in Boston? I do feel like there is a, I think, I think the difference between Boston versus in LA and versus in New York and versus the Chicago is there's no... At least for a basketball player, there's no uh, outside flair when you're in a like when you're an opposing player, and you see this, they say, "Oh, I want to go to Madison Square Garden and I want to ball out, right? And I want to do all these things and I want to and I, I I circle this on the calendar." There's no circling on this on the calendar for uh, opposing at least opposing superstars. Oh, I'm going to go play in Boston. This is something that I want to do, and so I think every time you see that from an opposing player, that it's always. Oh man, I can play on Madison Square Garden. Have this feeling every night, and once they get there, they're like, "Oh shit!" Well, I gotta. <laughs> it's every night, but I do think in Boston there's a different type of scrutiny from a local level, right? Where uh, it's there's so up and down. There's like, "Oh man, we gotta get that." You have to be good. You have to do these things that a Jason Tatum might feel, but maybe a, a Kevin might not feel. So he'll take a meeting. Is that is is there any credence to that? This is somebody. This is a West Coaster. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. say too much, but well, uh, I how always do you, say how, I always say Boston. Boston and Philly are the same, you know, Boston and Philly mm. are these gritty lunch pail, blue collar towns that appreciate yeah. their athletes performing in that manner. And if, you know, ask, ask Julius Irvin, you know, ask Allen Iverson about when they're with you, what it's like to have a, a provincial town like Boston and Philly. Like when Boston is with you, man, it's the greatest thing ever. And I will say this about, about Boston, their fans, they're, they're knowledgeable incredibly knowledgeable. They don't show up in the second quarter or the third quarter, Logan. They show up like two hours before the game to watch Jason Tatum warm up. When they yell at a ref, they don't don't yell, hey, ref, you suck. They yell, hey, Daryl Garrettson's son, Ronnie Garrettson, you suck. I mean, they, you know what I'm saying? These guys know they've spent, it's been passed down through generations. This is a it's a knowledgeable fan base. I feel the same way about Philly. And so, but yeah, do, are they in the shadow of, of New York, which is hilarious because the Knicks aren't good people. Hello. 
they're not. And they made they made a lot of interesting, I think, a lot of questionable transactions themselves. They're always trying, you know, because their their fan base talk about difficult. Yikes! They're always trying oh, to, man. you know, like they took on Kemba. They shouldn't have taken on Kemba any more than the Celtics no. should have. Shouldn't have done it. It's it's you know? it's it's New York's ego. New York's ego yeah. thinks they can they can help out anything. Um, what you know, you- I was at a Cel- I was at the Celtics Knicks game. I got to share this with you. My son moved to New York, so my son had never been to Madison Square Garden. So for Christmas, I got him Celtics Knicks tickets. Let's go. We'll go. You go to Madison Square Garden. This will be good. So we go into the game. We're sitting. Uh, we have good seats. We're sitting. Really good seats. And behind us, there's a bunch of season ticket holders. And um, R.J. Barrett's having a bad game. You know, R.J. looked like he was playing with two cinder blocks on each leg. You know, no <laughs> lift. He's really <laughs> yeah. struggling. He's having, he's having a tough game. And they're, they're like, oh, my God, Tibbs, take him out, man. Take R.J. Barrett. I mean, they're just killing R.J. Barrett. He's having a really tough game. So the Celtics are winning, and then they're losing, and the Knicks are the same, right? They're just as bad. So they're one team's ahead, and the other team's ahead, and whatever. So it gets down to the end of the game, and it looks like the Celtics are going to win. Tatum hits a big shot. And then R.J. Barrett, maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. It was a few weeks ago. He takes this falling, like, out-of-bounds, three-point yeah. bank shot at the end of the game, and they win the game. And these guys behind us. Was that the Fournier game? You guys were at the Fournier game? Yeah, we're at the Fournier game. Yeah, Yeah, right. We were at that game. So these guys behind us are going crazy. Now, these are the guys who were just destroying R.J. Barrett five minutes ago. (laughs) And we're walking out. And these same guys are chanting, R.J. Barrett. And I'm like, this is just crazy, man. Crazy. It's like, uh, we can go off on this tangent because it's like when the Yankees go to the A's games. The Yankees come to town. Everybody, it's, it's. Bringing up old wounds because the, the A's are like the the Yankees farm system. It seemed like back in the day, but it's like that, right? Where it they 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 expect so much greatness that it kills them. You know when they when they don't when they're just mediocre, and it's okay sometimes just be mediocre because you're building something. But I I guess I'm well, going yeah. off on a tangent. But what the biggest point is what I see between New York and Boston. I think people forget that like even Kevin Garnett he it, he didn't want to he he wanted to. First, he wanted to go to the Lakers. People forget that. He wanted to go play with Kobe. It, he wanted that. It just didn't happen for him. But like Boston's a city where it's one of those things, we just need to get you here. Just come here and we'll we'll, we'll try to figure it out type thing. Um, yeah, Garnett. Man, I mean, was, that was huge. Once yeah. Garnett got there, he was all in. He's the one of the greatest yeah. leaders I've ever seen. Bar none. One of the greatest what's leaders your, I've ever what's your, seen. What's your best uh, KG store? Uh-huh. What's the best KG store? <laughs> Well, KG on got, record. <laughs> no, we got off. We got off on the wrong foot, you know, because he came in and he's a really, really intense guy. And before games, I mean, I hadn't been him around him that much. So before games, everybody, all of a sudden, like, you know, I used to go in pregame. It used to be different. You'd go into a uh, locker room pregame. Everybody was around, you know, you could talk to guys before the game. That never happens now. But so I'd go in pregame and like everybody was gone. I'm like, where is everybody? And there's Garnett like banging his head against the locker. And I'm like, what the hell is going on with him? You know, I still need to get my quote though. <laughs> so, right. So I go up and I, I try to talk to him and he's like looking at me like, how dare you talk to me? You know, he's like, cause he's in his, whatever he's doing, this feverish pitch that he gets himself into. And he kind of was like giving me crap. And I'm like, Hey dude, I'm asking you a question. That's all. And he's like, you know, get the bleep away. And I was like, Hey man, I've been here before you. I'll be here after you. I was mad, you know, like, yeah. So anyway, I go stomping off and then they kind of got us back together. And then Ray Allen like said to me, Oh no. Yeah. Before the game, you can't go near him. That's why the locker room's always empty. We all just, wherever he goes, we run away from him. 
We just go somewhere else. So anyway, so we kind of like made our peace, but then I was, I wanted to do a story on him because he was that year he was having trouble with his knee and people thought he was done. You know, people are like, he's never, he's done. He's never going to be the same. So I'm trying to get him to talk to me and he just won't, you know, he won't, we didn't talk to anybody really. So finally I said to him, Hey, listen, I'm doing this story with or without you. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the story I have so far is everybody thinks you're done. He's like, not done. I go, I don't think you are either. I'm just telling you, this is what I got. And if you don't talk to me, man, this is all I got. So he finally agreed to talk to me, but he made me fly to Chicago to do it. (laughs) He made me fly to (laughs) Chicago on the road game. And I, and ever since then, we've been great. I have great respect for him as a competitor. I, he just was such a team player. Like he was a guy that really honest to God, didn't care if he scored. He, I swear to God, he did not care. He just wanted to win. He wanted them to win the championship. He, he could feel it the minute he got there that they had what they needed. And in fact, he was so hyped up before games. Doc Rivers used to tell me, I never ran a play for him the first six minutes because if I did, he was going to shatter the backboard because he was just so hyped up to start the game. And, you know, Paul Pierce was the MVP of those 2008 finals, deservedly so. He was incredible during that run. But I'm telling you, it was Kevin Garnett that changed the culture, that changed that yeah. whole locker room, that changed everything. And people forget that that he was just phenomenal. The year before, they were one of the worst teams in the league. People forget that the year before they won that 08 title, they were one of the worst teams in the league. They almost traded. They almost traded Paul Pierce like half a dozen times. They tried to trade him for the rights to Chris Paul. Danny Ainge had a thing for Chris Paul, and they were going to trade Pierce for the rights to Chris Paul. It, It didn't. It didn't go through. In fact, the Boston Globe at the time where I worked had two ads running the next day: one with the new look Celtics with, um, and then one with. Paul Pierce featured in the ads. They had a pre-draft and a post-draft, two different ads. Yeah, that's how close it was. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I do. Okay, so let's compare notes, right? Because I want to, I want to, I want to, every time we get on the phone, I always want to ask you and ask you questions about the 80s Celtics and all the, and, and, the, and the Celtics back in the day. But from a coverage standpoint, because I want to compare notes on eras and how, how things w- were done. Oh, what was it so like covering a team? Yeah. What was it like covering a team like that? Because, you know, you know, with the, obviously the Warriors are the best PR staff in the league currently, and maybe the last, the last yeah, of Raymond the Ritter. When Shout it comes out to, to Raymond, the best. He's awesome. <sighs> Shout out to Raymond Ritter. Yes. But what I, what I'm, what I'm asking is like, what was it like covering the Boston Celtics? And this is selfish for me because I'm a Lakers fan, was a Lakers fan growing up. 
What was it like covering that rivalry when you do have all this coverage and all these things and you can actually get access to people? You can actually talk to Larry Bird no matter who you were, right? You could just, if you see him, he's going to give you a quote or talk to you about something. What was it like covering that specific rivalry during that specific time yeah. in, it, uh, it, it in newspaper? It was very different. It was very different. The first thing is practices were open. You could go to mm. practice and watch the whole practice. And I was so young when I was covering, I was in my 20s. And so fearful of missing something, I would show up two hours before practice even started, and that's how I got to know. That's how I got to know Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and those guys because they were already there. They were already shooting. They were already doing work. And you, you, even if you didn't ask a question, they saw you were there. You know, I remember asking when I did the first book I did with Bird. You know, we got pretty far into it, and then one night I said to him. Why did, why did you choose me to do this? Like, I was so shocked when they asked me. I couldn't believe it. And he said, yeah, you put in the work, you know? We, we were there early. That. You were there early. Yeah. So, but now, of course, even if you do that, no one ever knows because you're not anywhere near the, you know, the practices are closed. You get a window, like after practice, 15 minutes. It's a, you know, it's a scrum around one guy. I mean, we used to go early, stay late. You could grab guys off to the side. You could ask them questions. You could talk to them out in the parking lot. And so we flew commercially. So if the if the team was on a road trip and they they had a game in Milwaukee that went to overtime and they had a 7 a.m. flight the next morning, you know, if you were smart, you didn't change your flight to a later one. You got up just like they did and you got on that 7 a.m. flight because they noticed. They noticed. Yeah. No, so we I think that you know, persistence from a like a younger perspective. I think that still works. I, I was listening to you on, on Simmons' pod talking about that. I, I, I think I will just say I think there's still hope. You know, I think that all it's it's the same characteristics. If if I think it's the same characteristics work back then, they work now, right? Like you 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 wait out a player, they still see that. Like it doesn't just don't. If you do the same thing, you, you'll be good. What was it like going into the um? What was it like covering a game in the Garden? Like like during the finals. During that time, it's an older arena. It's louder. Just be, it's it's not even a basketball arena. It's a hockey arena. What was it like from a coverage standpoint covering those games? Well, the the big problem was if you got to June, you had to worry about the ice melting. You know, in case like the ice oh, was yeah. under the Slippery. floor. So that you all know, just would one. I remember one game. It wasn't in June though. It was a regular season game. They were playing the Atlanta Hawks, and they had to cancel the game because all the the moisture from the the ice. You know, and the, during the finals, by then they would often take the ice off. But that place was. The old garden was dirty. Like the, when the circus went came to town over Christmas, you'd go back in for a game two weeks. You know, the Celtics would always go on the right road over Christmas because it'd have either the ice capades or and or the circus. And you'd come back in and it smelled like elephant poop. You know what I mean? Like it was just, <sighs> it was nothing. There was nothing state of the art about it, but I loved it. You got to know the guys that put down the floor. I mean, the, the, the garden floor was literally squares of parquets that they had stacked up in the back and they literally came out and put them down. And there were dead spots on the floor and you got to know where the dead spots were if you'd played there a bunch of times. It was an incredible atmosphere because it was always sold out. Always, not sometimes, always. And the fans were there early and they were raucous and sometimes they were over the top. Horrible, honestly. Bad fans in terms of opponents. I didn't always love what I heard coming How out of the How was a young stands. Bill Simmons there? I never, he was too young. I never saw him. I swear to God, he was, he was younger uh, than me and I didn't see him around yeah. much, you know? And, um, whenever I did see him, he was so incredibly respectful, to be honest, you know, 
And and he was a guy that I remember I met him once in a restaurant, I think. And he was just, ta- I only talked to him for a few minutes. He came up to me and introduced himself. And he asked me some questions. And I just thought, wow, that kid's sharp. Like just the questions he asked me, you know, he, and he was a fan. That was always the difference between us, still the difference between us. You know, he, he starts saying we, and I'm like, I want to die. I want to crawl under a rock. We were taught like, yeah. no, we, you know, you got to be yeah. willing. I mean, some of the hardest things I ever did was to write difficult stories about Larry Bird at the end of his career, who was having trouble coming to grips with his limited physical capabilities. This guy that obviously I admired from watching what he did. You had to write some tough stories about that. Dennis Johnson, one of my favorite players of all time, as he grew older and these young guys, Brian Shaw and some of these young players coming in, it was affecting his playing time and he didn't handle it well because none of us do, right? It's hard when right. someone comes in and replaces you. And so that, that, was, that was some of the hardest stuff writing those stories. But we had relationships with them. Like I remember I wrote a story about Danny Ainge and I called him hyperactive. I was kind of making fun of him for being so hyperactive. And, you know, and uh, we were at the finals and we were, they, they had us all on the court, on the garden court doing interviews. And the maintenance men were fixing some lights and they had these long tubes of glass like on the table. And so anyway, we were going by and I, I must've had my bag, in my hand, and I knocked one of the, the lights off and it broke, you know, and it made a noise and they were like on the court and they're all looking, they turn and look at me and I'm standing there. I was, and um, Danny Ainge looked at me and he goes, yeah, you're a little hyperactive over there, aren't you, Jackie? You know, like they, they read they do everything. The, see, they do those things. They, they, they act like it. they don't read. They act like they don't read, but they, they, they read everything. They, yeah, all those I, players I read everything. It. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. They really, they held me accountable. I mean, I, you know, I wrote, like I said, I had to write some stuff times. Sometimes it was difficult. There was were no the time cell where you phones. Said, uh, like you said, holding accountable, right? And I think that that gets misconstrued a lot. Because um, I think my era versus your era, we have Twitter now, right? So yeah, when you right, hold some, when players say when players say we're holding you accountable, they do it in front of the masses, right? And it's it's and I get it, and I'm not mad at it. I'm not, I'm just saying it's just a difference in eras. When was one of the first times you got held accountable from one of the the Celtics play uh, held accountable in their eyes, and how did that affect you? What, what did you do when, when that, when that happened? How did you, how did you work through that? Who did it? Uh, yeah. how did that work well, out? Danny, Danny, Danny was good in that if he didn't like something like that, like Danny had a, um, an argument with Jimmy Rogers, who was the head coach. He had been a longtime assistant and then was the head coach. So this is kind of at the end, things are not going well. You know, the, the dynasty is fading if you own. And, um, Danny and, and Jimmy had some words and I was there. I saw it. I was, you know, it was a game. I was on the road with them. I saw it. And then I thought I asked Danny about it, but then I found out some additional information and asked Jimmy Rogers about it. So anyway, the story I wrote, Danny didn't like it. And he, and he said it was inaccurate. And he said, why didn't you ask me? And I said, he did. He said, but you didn't come. And he was right, by the way. He's like, you didn't come back to me. You should have come back to me and asked me again. And he's right. I should have. He was right. And, and so he's like, you know, you made this out to be something it wasn't. And, uh, so I had to eat that one, you know, and I had to come back the next day and reframe it. No, and that's like, I'm okay with that. That's, I, I take, yeah. we all should take what we do with that reporting very seriously because again, without Twitter, without, there was no text messages with any of that. Like you, if you're going to, if you're going to write this stuff, if you're going to write things that are difficult for players to hear, I always used to go to them and say, here's what I'm writing. Talk me out of it, you know? I mean, Paul Pierce, I had to write, I had to write some really tough stuff about Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce was young. I'm covering him. He was like one of the games they're playing the Pacers and he got um, hit. He thought he got hit in the face and 
he, you know, got in a beef with the ref and he got himself thrown out of a playoff game. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? It was ridiculous. I mean, I destroyed him. And he, w- he came up to the press conference, the post-game press conference, wearing this thing wrapped around his jaw. I mean, he made a, you know, it was ridiculous. And so I went at him pretty good. And, but the one thing I'll say about Paul, I didn't see him again because they got eliminated. And then I didn't see him again till like the following fall when they have this pre, they have this gala, preseason gala that we all used to go to. And, and I saw him and I went up to him and I said, hey, I've been trying to reach you. He said, I know. I said, well, I wrote some pretty difficult things. I said some pretty difficult things about you. And I was just trying to give you a chance to yell at me or swear at me or whatever you want. And he just stuck out his hand. He goes, it's a new year. Let's start over. Yeah, it's funny because pretty mature. I, you know? It's funny because you had those. You're having those. Uh, you had those experiences without the. Uh, what it, it's funny because like when we compare eras, it's like the same. Because I remember there was one time where uh, when I was going up to Golden State Warriors, it was the year Demarcus was on the team. Demarcus Cousins was on the team, and um, I reported something about him ramping up and going to come after Christmas, and it wasn't something that he wanted out, and. Um, in the moment, like I remember when it when it happened, I reported the piece. wasn't wrong, by the way, but reported the piece out, and uh, but didn't talk to him. And I didn't really like because I was over. I was an eager reporter. You know, you want to get something out. You really, really want to do something. You want to make your mark. And I think on that at that point, I was I was going up against Anthony Sl- great reporters, Anthony Slater, Marcus Thompson, um, mm-hmm. all these guys. Yeah, great, that are, great that writers, are both of them. Yeah, great writers. And you want to like, you want to make your mark on a beat. So that's what I'm thinking about. And so I report this story out and Ray Ritter, who was the best, it was, it was during shoot around when I, when it came out and, um, and, uh, he comes like pregame and is like, Demarcus isn't happy with you. I was like, well, I'm just like this over, I'm like, well, let me go talk to him. And he was pissed. Um, yeah. And you know what, Logan, so, he, he had a right to be. He had a right to be, and right? He had, but like in the moment, I'm like, why are you mad at me? I'm trying. I'm doing all these things. Yeah. You don't get it. But in hindsight, I'm like, well, you know, like you, he didn't want his his rehab out. That what that because I don't realize this as a young reporter that puts more pressure on him to perform. That that put that puts more expectation on the fan base. He was in a contract year, had signed the mid level exception, and so much pressure on him. But it's interesting when you have those times, right? Because they do. They they have agency too. They have a reason to be mad at you too, right? Sure. You, because yeah. you're doing your job, but it sometimes conflicts with what they're trying to do in their overall plans as well. Oh, a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, I, Antoine Walker is another one. Gosh, it was so hard on him. And but they were. But there was always at least dialogue about. It. And you're right. Now it's different. Like I, I did. Bill and I did a pod. We were talking about Kevin Durant. And I think his time with the Brooklyn Nets. And I made some comments about what I thought you know, why it was a good move for him. It was very, we, everything we said was very complimentary, but I think, I think he did tweet out that I was, he didn't like me talking about him. what, yeah, I don't know him or no, he said, we're not friends. And I was thinking, uh, Roger that I got a lot of friends yeah. and none of them are Kevin Durant. I mean, that was not yeah. what I was trying to say at all, but I understand that he has a right he has a right to respond that way. I respect it. I do. I respect all these guys. They have a right. If there's something that upsets them or bothers them, they do have a right to use whatever platform they decide to strike back, if that's the way you want to describe it. So I, I, that doesn't bother me. If it bothers you, you shouldn't be in this business, probably. You know, Because this is a tough business to be in. It's, it's not for the weak. But I, I, what do you think yeah. about it? I want to go back to, to the 80s. How much did the Boston, Celt- the Boston fans hate 
Magic Johnson and hate the Lakers versus respect them? Like, how did what was that? What was that eventual? We hate, we hate yeah. them, and then now it's the eventual. Okay, we respect them. They were they we played them for twelve years. We love them now. What, what was that right. line? What was that like? Well, Magic Magic was hard to hate, right? Because he was so charismatic yeah. and so magnetic, and you know, incredibly talented. And he was, um, you know, his whole thing with Larry. I don't know that Celtics fans ever grew to like him just because they bleed green, man. And they don't, they don't want to hear Kareem was an easy villain. He was, you know, a little sullen. He didn't talk to him. He was a terrific player. Um, he had the goggles, you know, he had the oxygen mask off on in um, game, you know, I forget which game in 84 in the playoffs. So those guys, he was a more natural villain, if you want to call him that. But I think magic just wins people over. It's impossible. And he did not. it when he wore the Celtics gear when he put it at, well, at yeah. Larry's retirement. And I think too, that, and I think too, like eighty-seven, eighty-seven. Mikhail's playing on a broken foot. Walton doesn't play mm-hmm. one game in that that series. The, the Lakers go out and make a great acquisition in Michael Thompson, and and now the team. The biggest shift in eighty-six, eighty-seven was they're not going through Kareem anymore. Magic, Magic gets you know Riley sits him down and says, "This is your team now. You're we're going to feature you, not Kareem." And and he took that to heart, and he was he was unbelievable. He makes that junior junior hook over the best front line in basketball. And Bird's at the press conference afterwards. I was so stunned; I'll never forget it. He's like, he's just the greatest player I've ever seen. I I don't even I don't even know what to say. And it's you know, and it was it was basically Bird waving the waving the the white flag. Like I you know, because the one thing about Bird, he always was sure that he would outwork people. Like no one was going to work harder than him. No one was going to study the game more. No one was going to out beat out tough him in terms of a mental fortitude. I mean, he was so mentally tough. He played hurt, all that stuff. But he met his mat, match of magic because magic was every one of those things, just like he was. And so I think that that eighty seven and and they had there was none of us. None of us had any way of knowing that was the last time they would ever play each other in the finals. But but Bird's body fell apart. Um, Walton never played another game. Mikhail was never the same. And the Lakers went on, as you know, I don't have to tell you the history. And uh, But in 91, when Magic got that diagnosis, the basketball all of a sudden didn't matter to anybody. Really. I don't think it mattered to the fans. It certainly didn't matter to Larry Bird. He, he very famously said, it was the first time in my life I didn't feel like playing basketball. So that kind of wow. diagnosis, we, we all thought Magic was going to die. I mean, that yeah. would, no, we didn't understand HIV then. In fact, People forget this. At his press conference, he actually said, I, I obtained the HIV virus. Right before that, right before he went to do that press conference, he was talking with Lon Rosen, who was his longtime agent and friend. And he said, let's go over what you're going to say when you get there. He goes, well, I'm just going to tell people, you know, I have AIDS. And he said, you don't have AIDS. Yeah. You have the HIV virus. Like even Magic didn't understand the difference in HIV, that exact moment. It's dead a difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, um, it's HIV. You can live forever. You know, AIDS, yeah. you cannot. You know, and so even right. we were all educating ourselves on the fly. And I think that's maybe the one time the whole city of Boston, the whole basketball world was let their guy. And it's kind of like when when Kobe, you know, you got word that Kobe died in that crash. I was actually skiing with my family in Colorado and you're just so devastated. And and at that moment, like what jersey they wore and none of that matters. It, it just doesn't yeah, matter for sure. anymore. Yeah. I think before though, when I see when I look at uh, old uh, interviews of Larry Bird and you know old like whenever I can find you know post game pressers, he was very complimentary of people he respected. Like whenever when yeah. Jordan hit sixty three after a win, he called him uh, 
There's nobody God better disguised. than Michael Jordan. He's a God, exactly. God Ex- disguised, God disguised Michael as Michael Jordan. Jordan. How, what kind of play was he? What did it take to earn Larry's respect? And once you got it, what did that mean for you when you got Larry's respect? Well, you know, it's funny you're asking me this because I've been working on a project actually for The Ringer um, that involved a conversation I just had recently with Michael Jordan about this very thing. And Jordan said, in essence, it validated me. You know, if if, if Larry Bird wow. says your God disguises, it validates you in a real big hurry. Because and he was a young guy. He's a kid yeah, at very that time, young. right? Yeah, was, I think it was 1985, 86. 86, he made that comment. So yeah, he was. He's 24, 23, something like that. And, you know, hadn't hadn't become Michael Jordan yet, right? Hadn't won anything just yet. So um, I think the respect with Magic and Larry was there from the very beginning, but there was real dislike. There just was. I mean, their rookie year, their first game, they had to be separated. You know, Bird leveled Magic on the way to the basket and they're staring each other down. Everybody's got to say, I mean, they, because they were fighting for the same thing. You know, they wanted the rings and, and they, and this personal rivalry was, Stern was smart enough to blow it up. Everybody was talking about it. And, and so, um, you know, over time though, when you, when you're trying to measure yourself against someone and they're every bit as smart as you, hardworking as you, as mentally tough as you, after a while you start going, damn, that guy, that guy's got it. You know? When did, when did Bird admit that he loved magic? When did he admit that he was like, okay, I, I love you. I, but I, 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 I'm a competitor, but I love you. When, when did it finally, when did they finally become friends? I mean, I think 80, 87 was, you know, him saying he's unbelievable. I don't even know what to say, but it really wasn't until the HIV diagnosis that he let down his guard. Bird's not very happy. He's not very free with letting down his guard. I think at that point he was very shaken by the phone call, you know, Lon called Larry and Larry ended up talking to magic and very shaken by that phone call. I mean, he thought, he thought magic was going to die. And, you know, think about these two guys that have been interconnected in ways that you can't even believe, you know, so one without the other, like Wilton, like Wilton Russell, same thing, you know, like you just didn't talk about one without the other. And so you're so invested in trying to kill this guy, beat this guy, annihilate this guy. And now all of a sudden you're like, Oh, none of that matters. You know, none of that matters. How much did, how much did, uh, you, you brought up something and I didn't even have this. I didn't even think of this, but how much was, uh, we, I've been reading about Wilts and uh, and and Russell for a, for a minute. How, how, what was their what was their relationship like? I know there was beef, but ultimately, what was from from Russell's point of view? What do you think that that what was that? Where did they did he? I felt like he always loved uh, Wilts, but there was just you know it was competitive. It was ego. It was book sales. It was a lot of those things. Where, where, yeah, yeah. From Russell's They're, standpoint, well, again, very competitive. Um, there was, I think, an understanding back then. Now you're talking the 60s, right? So you're yeah. talking about a time where, you know, black athletes in uh, the NBA go to cities and aren't served lunch at certain counters. Think about that, you know? And so that's something that bonds you in a way that I'll never understand, right? I've never had that yeah, experience. Right. So they had each other's backs when it came to civil rights and social justice. And, you know, they were both there when Martin Luther King was assassinated. They both uh, marched together to Ebenezer Church for his funeral. And so there were a lot of things that brought them together. But I've said this about every athlete I've ever been around. You can like someone a lot. You can be friends with someone. But when you're both trying to win a championship and the other guy's in your way, you're going to do whatever it takes to win that. And of course, Russell kept winning and winning and winning and winning and Wilt, Wilt did not. And so, you know, they, their arc was competitiveness, camaraderie, competitiveness. They didn't talk for many years. And then 
you know, near the end of Wilt's life, they had definitely, you know, settled into a really nice friendship. So, man, but I, but that yeah. can't happen till it's over. It just can't happen till it's over. Bird Magic couldn't be friends. That. You know, you can't. It's like, I mean, I don't know, like who are I don't know, like LeBron and Dwayne Wade. They were okay when they were together, but I don't know what they were like when they were apart. I, well, you I'm know? thinking right now, like uh, players versus cities, right? Like I can't wait to see. What Oklahoma, how Oklahoma City responds to Kevin when he's retired, right? You know, when they have the the I, I can't I just can't wait to see that or where how his relationship is with Golden State or how LeBron's relationship with Miami is when it's all said and done or Cleveland, right? Because there's complicated relationships in the moment, but I, I can't wait to see what yeah, but, how it but is. But Miami, Miami, they should thank LeBron every single day. Now he left, but again, he was a free agent, didn't force his way out. He did leave them a little hamstrung. You know, the thing about that was when he and, and um, Bosch went there and D-Wade was already there and they signed those deals. Originally, it was supposed to be, I forget, I don't remember the length of the deals now, but they added an extra year on it and it really hamstrung the heat in terms of adding free agents to make that team better. And, you know, they made some decisions that really put the heat in a tough position, but it didn't matter as long as they were there and winning championships. And then you leave and, but you know, if, if you're the Miami Heat and you look back on it and you look up in those rafters, how can you do anything but is, <laughs> retire his number and applaud him? You know, whereas Golden State, Golden State and Durant, that's a little trickier, right? That's I a little trickier. I think it'll work itself out. I think it'll work uh, it itself It should. Out. It should. It absolutely should. Because again, he was fantastic on that team and helped, you know, won them championships and but this, you know, the Steph, like he could just never be, you know this, I'm not telling you that you don't know that, that fan base, as much as they love KD, you weren't Steph. That, it's just that simple. Here's the thing. No one in the Bay Area is Steph. No one. Well, like, that's it. That's right. Th- not even, not even Dame Lillard, you know, and that, that's yeah. just what it is. And by the way, once again, I don't, I don't blame Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn. He was a free agent. Not at all. They, that's not what free agency is about. You have a right to move and, and switch teams. So I didn't blame him yeah. one bit. Before we get out of here, um, I want to ask because you brought up something. What is Boston's relationship with Braun? Because it's it's funny. That's one of oh, the things that him. I think we won't hate him. We, we won't know that we won't know like the full extent until his career is over. But he's had so many great moments in Boston, so many great times in Boston, and so and, yeah. and also the beef with with Paul Pierce. What are their what is their right. relationship like? What what is that relationship between Braun and Boston? Oh no, they hate. Him. Yeah, they hate him because he because he took things from them they wanted. You know, he's he also taking had their heart low- out every time. Not every time, dear. Not every time. Not there were some time. moments earlier. Yeah, 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 2008. Yeah. You know, like, so that's yeah. the thing, right? He, I would say in the end, he came out, you know, with the heat, especially. Uh, but with Cleveland, those were, you know, those were learning experience for LeBron. And, but I think LeBron feels the same way about Boston. They feel about him. There's a real healthy dislike that's just based purely on business. You know, you have something I want, you took it or you didn't take it. And yeah, they like, it's great to be, I think LeBron probably, I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it, but I bet he loves going to Boston and shutting those people up because he's had some amazing performances there, but he's also had some low moments there. And that's what makes it so interesting. Right. I think. Why, so, why is Pierce and Braun the greatest rivalry that never told? It's I, I feel like everything I hear behind the scene is so great. It's that's a, it's such a healthy dislike, I think, respect, but there yeah. is a dislike there. W- w- can you just peel the curtain back on that really quickly? Well, I just think Pierce waited so long to get there. And then yeah. now Garnett's there and he finally gets there. And LeBron is just incredible. I mean, that that duel they had was amazing. And and so Pierce prevails in that moment. 
But like, there's no argument here about who's the better player of all time. Good Lord. It's pretty obvious, yeah, LeBron, yeah. right? And so I think in Paul's mind, he's like, yeah, no, but I got you. I got you. And LeBron's like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> See yeah. you later. You know, how many, <laughs> wait, sure. how many champions? Wait, Paul, how many champions do you have again? Oh, one. That's right. Yeah. I got, I got a few more, you know. So. And, and he could still, and LeBron could also say, yeah, if I had one more piece in that 08 year, there's a chance I could have beat y'all that year. Because LeBron had that, that incredible game, that game seven in 08. But we could talk about this all the time. Jackie, it was amazing to have you on. Next time we have you on, we'll have Roger. We'll talk NBA. Um, But uh, in the meantime, check us out on Real Ones, Mondays and Thursdays. Check out Upside High with J. Kyle Mann and Jonathan Charks. Make sure you check out Weekends with Waz. Make sure you check out New York, New York, The Boyd with KOC, The Answer Group Chat. Um, And also make sure you check out Mismatch Tuesdays and Fridays. We will see you guys on Thursday. Thanks so much.